My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's good to be with you on this New Year Day. My role here is Connections Pastor, and for some of you who may be new, um, we did celebrate in September. We celebrated eight years uh, of Renaissance, and um, I joined uh, Jordan and Jess early on, like in the beginning of the process of coming up and thinking about what we are now sitting in and calling Renaissance. In fact, it was called the Harlem Church Plant. We didn't even have a name back in the day. Um, and I remember uh, some, we exchanged some emails. I was here doing some ministry already in Harlem, and Jordan was sending some emails around letting people know he was starting a church. We got connected through some random things, and uh, we had a, a dinner at Kitchenette. Uh, up on 123rd of Amsterdam. Um, shout out to Kitchenette. They, they, I don't think they made it through the pandemic. Um, but we had this chicken dinner, and I remember Jordan saying to me, yo, I want to gather and scatter. And that sat with me because in my DNA, man, I really believe the best way to communicate a relationship with God or to, to, to talk about Jesus is to live your life with people. So that they taste and see that the Lord is good. And so as I think about my hopes going into 2023, my hope as a connection pastor who's been here since day uno, my hope is that we become a church that we are so, the fingerprint of Renaissance is experienced way beyond these four walls. That, that we are a group of people that, that if we were not here, the people to the right, to the left, to the front, of the back of us, they would say, yo, where did that church go? Because we had such an impact. My hope this year is we can do more of that. We've been doing some in our eight years, but I want this year to be the year that the neighborhood is like, yo, them Renaissance folks is about that life. That's my hope. I really hope that and pray that. And I know coming into a new year, many of you probably have some hopes. You know, I have some other hopes. Um, where are my gym rats? I got any, you, all right, all right, y'all don't, y'all not loud today or something? I mean, all right, all right, I'm just checking. I thought that gym rat culture, I thought that culture was a little more lively. But, <laughs> but, but honestly, I mean, many of us are, we want to get that body back, right? I do. I'm, I'm turning 42 this year, crazy. And I'm like, y'all want to get that body back. I look at pictures, I'm like, nah, that body gone. That body gone. Some of y'all, y'all need to, that body gone, all right? But I, I, I really pray, and I know, I know, I hope, I hope um, that we are able to discipline ourselves this year with our eating and our, and our physical health and, and to do that. And I, I really hope that happens for you. Um, others of you, like, I hope uh, that my marriage uh, thrives that we become super more intimate, that we're finishing each other's sentences, not so we can punish the other person, right? But like, because it's a romantic thing to do and we could date and, you know, maybe for some of you, I pray that you get that relationship that you are seeking in 2023, that, that the marriage that you thought was not going to work, it turns out to, to flourish and thrive and, and maybe some of the relationships you need to step away from, I pray you get the courage, to step away from some of those relationships and, and walk away from them knowing that your mental health and your health overall is more important than those things and that you have the boldness 
to do that. I pray for those, I hope for those of us um, who are looking for career changes, um, that you get that job that you wanted or the job that you're in right now, that it flourishes, that your, your boss miraculously quits. Yeah, yeah, facts, facts. I, listen, I done heard some things in 2022, like, what? They quit today? That's crazy. But I hope, I hope your, your careers are thriving and flourishing. And uh, yes, I, I, I pray like, that we get a building. Those of you members who know Renaissance, uh, we were looking to get a building and that didn't work out. But I pray that we get a location that, that people know to come and run into to, to, be, to know is safety. And this is where God's presence is and they would be drawn to us. You, I pray for those of you who are, who are looking, whatever you are hoping for this year, I really do hope it happens. But check this, as I was thinking about this message today, I hope, my bigger hope, more than your relationships, more than the DNA or the fingerprint of Renaissance on the Harlem community, more than your careers, more than your jobs, more than you getting more money or anything flourishing in your life uh, materialistically, my prayer and hope is that you would be shaped and formed deeply by prayer. My bigger hope for us as a church is that as individuals, that we would develop a robust, a real prayer life. That's something substantial. That when the, the, the waves of, of culture, when the waves of situation and life happens to you, that the foundation of your connection with God is found in your prayer life. I pray for us as a church that we would be known as the church who is rooted and founded in uh, uh, prayer. That is my bigger hope. More than all of those other things, that is my hope. And I believe hope, excuse me, I believe prayer is vital to our relationship with God. I think prayer is super, super important. And as we talk about building a prayer life today, I want you to know, prayer, our prayer life is built, I, want it, I believe biblically our prayer life is built on two major things. One, how we pray, which is content, how we pray, and two, how we connect or experience God, which is connection. I'm going to say that again. Our prayer life needs to be built on two major components, how we pray, and we're going to look at some scriptures that give us a framework for that, and that's content. And then secondly, how we experience God, and that's connection, and we're going to look at some uh, scriptures that help us see that. Now, when I say prayer life, I want to make sure we have an understanding. A prayer life is a spiritual lifestyle that prioritizes connecting with God. I'm going to say that again. A prayer life is a spiritual lifestyle one that in your, as you are growing and working on your relationship with God, you are intentionally making space to connect with God. And um, I believe prayer is ultimately is how we connect with God. That's why it's so vital. Pray, prayer is how we connect and how we stay connected with God. Now, some of you, maybe some of you are starting your relationship with God uh, this year. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to take my, my walk with God serious. I want to connect with God deeper. I'm telling you right now, 
The foundation, my hope for you is that you see prayer is the foundation to do that. It's, the, it's the, one of the primary ways to connect with God. And maybe some of you have been walking with God already, and you're like, oh, man, I hear these prayer messages all the time. I want to remind you that being connected to God, if you subscribe to the fact that the ideology that Christianity is not just a bunch of uh, religious activity, but it's a relationship. If you subscribe to that, how could you call yourself a Christian without a prayer life? When is the last time you got really, really, I'm talking to the Christians in the room, you got, and online, when you got really, really upset that you couldn't pray? When's the last time you were like, mm, I didn't pray today. I just want to remind us, prayer is how we get connected and stay connected to God. I have two boys, uh, my son Axel, who's seven, and my, my son AJ, who's 11. I have two girls also. They're 24 and 21, um, 23 and 21, um, or I don't know how old they are. <laughs> 20, yeah, Chase is 21, Genesis is 23, yes. Um, but at, I, 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 actually, I remember one time we were crossing the street, and so one of the things I do as a dad, when I get to the corner, especially when they were little, I would put my hands out, I would say hands. And they would grab my hands, and they would know that was code for crossing the street. And as you know, in New York City, some avenues and streets are bigger than others. And so we're crossing two-fifth, and um, I got AJ and Axel. I got uh, Axel on my right hand, AJ on my left hand. And we begin to cross the street. And you know, these avenues are big, and sometimes it's crazy. Cars are turning. Bikes are going. Like, let's not talk about the bike lane situation. That's getting a little crazy, right? But I'm walking with Axel, and right in, like, the middle of the street, he gets excited about something I can't quite remember, and he breaks loose of my hand, and he runs across the street. Right. That's what I said. Ooh. Now, I'm raised by uh, a, a, a black woman, uh, Bridget Ann Morris, from Brooklyn. My tendency, what I was thinking, is, boy, when I catch you. That's what I was thinking. But gentle parenting, right? Gentle parenting. That was my initial thought. But honestly, my heart sank for a minute because I know he was subject to the danger because he wasn't connected to me, because he broke loose of my hand. Now the things that could happen to him could happen to him without me protecting him. And I think uh, to the, to, uh, in our Christian walk at times, we are slowly tiptoeing away from God's hand. That we are like Axel and we, we piece it sometimes and we say, God, we're good. We're going to handle life on our own. You haven't been present thus far, so I'm about to do things on my own. And we, we, we sever this connection and then we blame God for all the things that happen. Man, I wonder if we could build a robust prayer life that would keep us connected to God. Now, I'm, this is not just me. I'm not the one saying, I'm not only saying prayer is important. The disciples in the Bible, they also too believed that prayer was important. Uh, listen to this in Luke 11. Uh, it says this, he was praying, he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught 
his disciples. In this passage, Luke doesn't name who the disciple was, but we know that this disciple probably was speaking on behalf of all of them. Why? Why do we know that? Well, probably because they saw John who also had some disciples, and they were, they were following John, and John had taught them how to pray. And so now they were looking at John's disciples and saying to Jesus, the one that they were following, Jesus, we, we want you to teach us how to pray. And it's so, it fascinates me that that would be the one thing that they, one thing that they would ask. Like, if I was, had 24-7 access to Jesus at that time, I would have been asking him to teleport. Like, let's be honest, walking, walking to Jerusalem, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Jerusalem, Gethsemane. Like, I'm not, doing, I'm not doing all that walking, right? I would, be, I would ask him, so, yo, how could, I, how could I love somebody who's unlovable? Help me do that. Let me, let me be able to cure some terminal illnesses. Let, let, me, let me make sure, how, teach me how to figure out for the Knicks to be a winning franchise. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would have asked those things, but the disciples saw fit to ask to be taught how to pray. Prayer is vital, and it's important. And I think about this. What did the disciples see? What was it about Jesus that made prayer so attractive? I think it's this. I think, one, Jesus was consistent in his prayer, his consistency in prayer. Luke 5 says this, but the news about him spread even more. His, his popularity was growing in the community. And large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often, say often, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Jesus was consistent. He often did this. He often went off into a deserted pray, place to pray. And they saw him. They saw him after large times of ministry dip off and pray. They saw him after hours and hours of walking and traveling and, being, and interacting with people, uh, healing the sick, having conversations with these religious leaders, and then sneaking off and getting off to pray. His consistency in prayer was super attractive, I would imagine. Secondly, I think his commitment to prayer. Listen to this in Luke 6. It says, during those days, he, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When's the last time you spent all night in prayer to God? And, and I, this is not to guilt any of us. I'm just saying I believe this is what the disciples were witnessing. Jesus actually partaking, not just talking about prayer, but living it, being consistent, being committed over time to praying. Now, before we continue, and, and there's a lot more I want to cover today, I have a couple caveats I want to say uh, before we go forward. Here's one. I know that every, um, every faith tradition prays, yes? It is universally accepted that, when, that, that prayer is a, is, a, is a religious activity, and Generally, we are people, when they say they pray, they are praying to a higher being, a higher power. But what I love about the Christian story, both historically and still stands now, is that we are not praying to some unknown higher power. We are praying to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
Yeshua. We are praying to God, a God who said, I am going to take on human nature. I'm going to step into human history. I'm going to die a criminal's death, although I'm innocent. I'm going to call all my wayward children who have abandoned me and left me and turned their backs on me. I am going to pursue them and invite them back into the relationship that they were created to be in. That's the good news of the gospel. We are praying to a God who knows us and sees us and wants to be known by us. It says this. I love how Paul says it in Philippians 2. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that, as, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Hold that. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, as we are building our prayer life, you are going to miss some days. And we're going to get into some things I want to encourage you to do and exhort you to do, but it's not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. You're going to miss the mark. The beauty of the gospel is that there's a God that pursues you even though you miss the mark. And he draws you. He is running after me. Y'all like that, right? He is pursuing you to invite you. He's extending his hand out saying, come, come back to the relationship in which you were formed to be in. That's the God that we are praying to. Don't get it twisted. Christians' prayers are different. Second caveat is I I think this is a general thing, and and maybe it's just me, and I hope I'm not projecting this on the church, but I, I think this is true. Generally, prayer feels like a duty. At least for me growing up as a young Christian um, in my 20s, I didn't grow up in the church per se, but when I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I kind of felt like there was, this, there was uh, some status quo of the number of prayers I was supposed to execute. And I would often feel shame that I wasn't hitting this number. But here's the crazy thing. I never actually quantified that. I don't ever have a number. I don't remember what the number was. I just felt like there was always more praying I should be doing. And as a result of that mindset, I began to feel like prayer was a duty. And when it feels like a duty, you don't want to engage in it. There are times when doing things that you don't want to do, you're just like, I'm not doing it today. Don't tell my wife that, but I do think we tend to see prayer as a duty, and I wonder if the Lord today wants to rid us from that limited thinking. Prayer is not a duty, it's an opportunity. We, it, there's a responsibility as a Christian, there's a responsibility to take everything to God in prayer. Because of the relationship, not because it's a duty, not because it's an activity that you have to do. Lastly, I believe this is also general and, and, and 
probably true for, I know it's true for me, maybe it's true for some of you. We tend to see prayer, and let me, let me say it this way, at times we can uh, couch our prayer life in it being a transaction. And I'm going to be honest, like, and maybe some of you super Christians out there, you're like, no, I've never done that. Yes, you have. <laughs> right? Like, we have unintentionally only uh, built the foundation of our prayer life on asking God for things. And the Bible is very clear. We are to ask God for things. He's our father. He created us to be in this loving, harmonious relationship. We should go to him with things. When my sons come to me, although I might be frustrated, they're suppo- if they went somewhere else, I'd be tight. Don't be going to somebody else's house asking them for that. Come to me. We are to go to God and ask him for things. However, the subtle, unconscious thing we may do at times is we may reduce or relegate our prayer life to transactions. And if that is you, I, I know that God still pursues us. That he, even though we might base, we might have rooted our prayer life in just it being transactions, God still shows up. He's still good. He's still faithful. And he still invites you beyond the transaction into connection and relationship. But I wonder if God is trying to move us away from just having our prayer lives centered around transactions. I wrote this down. If we, if we reduce prayer to a transaction, our relationship with Jesus will be superficial at best. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about building a biblical framework for our prayer life. And remember, our prayer life is built on two major components, right? The first being how we pray, which is content, and the second being how we experience God, which is connection. The first being how we pray, content, the words that we use, and how we experience God, our connection and our connection to God. Now, although prayer is super important, it does not, it it comes with its challenges. And when I was preparing this message, I really feel like God dug at me with some things Um, even being in ministry full-time for almost 20 years, I still wrestle with developing a robust or real deep prayer life. And I'm like, Lord, why is that? Why is prayer the one thing that gets relegated to I'll do it tomorrow? Why is prayer the thing that, that I'm okay if, oh, like, it doesn't happen? Why, why do I treat so many other things like maybe washing my car or focusing on fantasy basketball? I'm confessing my sin. Don't judge me. Right? Why do I make that such a priority? But praying, I'm like, oh, it could wait. Lord, why is that? I'm convicted, and I don't know about you. I, I, I needed the Lord to show me what are some of the reasons why building a prayer life is difficult. One, I think one of the reasons, and maybe if you're uh, new to following Jesus, this, you feel like you're there right now, um, and maybe if you've been following Jesus, some of you can, can relate to this, but there's this hidden insecurity about prayer. There's this insecurity in that I don't know exactly what to say. I don't know what words to use. Like, like, how do I do this? How do I talk to God? I don't want, it's silly. I feel like I'm talking to myself. I've worked with so many young people, and as they're developing their faith, 
They often say, I can't pray. I'm just talking to myself. There's no God there. He's not going to hear me. And even if he does, he's not even paying attention. Even if he is there, he's not paying attention to me. I think there is this, this hidden insecurity about prayer. And maybe it doesn't show up that way for you. But maybe if you was to ask God, he would show you where you've been insecure in your prayer. Maybe, maybe you've stopped believing that he would show up. And so because of discouragement, you've become insecure. What Jordan said about uh, the new year, it kind of breeds hope. Well, maybe you can't hope anymore. And so you've become insecure about prayer. Does it even work? You're asking these questions. You're deconstructing whether prayer even matters. I believe God wants to remind us that prayer is how you connect to him. Two, honestly, I think one, the other reason why we, don't, we struggle with our prayer life is because we don't plan it. We don't plan it. What gets planned gets done. Yes? That's true. Like if you had a meeting with your boss, you would be there. Some of you rebels, maybe you wouldn't. But most of us, like, we would plan it and be there. Some of the major events in your life, like if someone's having a wedding or that you're attending or you're going on vacation, you, you would plan it. I think we struggle in our prayer life because we don't plan it. I remember the first time I met my wife, we were going to a church. She was hanging out with, some, uh, the, the, with one of the pastors of the church. And I, okay, who's that? Let me see. Let me see who that is. And I remember they introduced us, and she came up to me, and the first thing she said was, yo, can you pray for me? I'm like, yo, you don't even know me like that. You know what I mean? To be asking me to pray. That's intimate. Don't ask me that. (laughs) But I I remember her asking me to pray, and it kind of, like, caught me off guard a little bit, but I, I felt it. I felt she was genuinely asking. She said some things were happening in her life, and she just needed me to pray. She didn't tell me her name. She just pieced it. Now, fast forward a couple years, we're married, maybe three or four years into our marriage, and for some strange reason, this story comes up, and she's like, yo, did you actually pray for me when I asked you that? Emoji. I was like, I I mean, I thought about it, you know what I'm saying? But yo, my point being, like, if I would have planned it, Let's just say I was being a good friend. If I would have planned it, it would have got done. If we plan to pray, if we put it in our schedule, I believe we'll do it. And, and part of what our struggle is, is we don't plan it. Third, uh, honestly, this is my confession again. I lack the desire to pray sometimes. Go ahead and tell the truth and shame the devil. Some of y'all in here. Like, can I say that? Can I be honest? I just, sometimes I just don't want to pray. I'd rather watch Netflix and go to sleep. And I wonder if God is trying to rid me of that. I wonder if there's a way I could go to God and, and, and say, God, can you give me a desire to pray? I wonder if God is that relational, that you could approach him in such a way that you would say, Lord, I, I, I want the desire to pray. In 2023, I, I want a desire to pray more. I don't know everything that's going to happen, but could, could that happen? Because the truth is sometimes we just don't have the desire to pray. 
And lastly, I believe there is an enemy who wants to thwart and ruin your relationship with God. Some of you scholars, you may not think the enemy is, is active and busy and everything. And I know people from faith, different faith traditions think differently. But the Bible is clear. Satan, which is a, is a title, he's an accuser. And everything he's trying to do is to destroy your relationship with God. And I wonder if the truth of the matter is one of our bigger struggles is that there's this opposing force that would hate to see us deeply connected and rooted to God. It says this in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. John 10.10 says, at least the beginning of it says this, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The B to that verse says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Those are opposing forces. There's someone who desires for you to die, and there's one that will resurrect you and bring you to life again. And that tension, that spiritual warfare is what we experience Every time when we try to go to pray and we fall asleep. <laughs> Don't act like it hasn't happened. It's 2023. Y'all could be honest. It happened to me yesterday. But I do believe that although... There's some insecurity about prayer, and we don't plan it. Sometimes we lack the desire, and there's this spiritual warfare going on. God is saying, won't you come? I do believe that in 2023, uh, God is asking us to have prayer as the foundation of our walk with him. And, and I want us to talk more about how we're going to develop a prayer life, but I want you to know this about the character of God. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 4. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. What is the Hebrew writer telling us, and how does that relate to our message today? I believe Jesus knows fully that we struggle in building a prayer life. And he is not a God that sits out and just is looking to judge us. We know that we, don't ha we have a high priest who comes down and empathizes with our weaknesses. And if you uh, struggle and, and continue to struggle throughout this year in building a prayer life, Jesus is not judging you. He's going to meet you where you are. That's the kind of God he is. He's going to meet you where you are. He's going to walk with you. He's going to take the baby steps you need to take. He's going to be there uh, uh, when, in times when you feel nothing. He's going to be there in times when you feel elated and you're super excited. He's going to be there because he's that good. He's that faithful. He's that committed and consistent. And that's what I want our lives in 2023 to be founded in, a robust, real prayer life. Now, remember, the two major components of our prayer life need to be built on how we pray, content, and how we experience God. So, in Luke 11, Jesus gives us a framework for the first part of how we build our, our, our prayer life. Jesus gives us a framework of the content that we need to use in the Lord's Prayer. Listen to this. Luke 11, starting at verse 1, he was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
Teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father. You could just stop there. Father. What emotions, what happens when you say Father? And for some of us, it's, it's, it's a myriad of things that we experience. But Jesus is modeling. He's giving us a framework for what content to use. He's saying there is a, a, a relationship that should be happening here. Father, your name be honored as holy. You are holy. What type of father? We're talking about a holy father, a good and faithful father. Your kingdom come. That's a, that's a real tough prayer. Not my kingdom, God, but your kingdom come. Give us each day our, our daily bread. Provide for us. Jesus is very clear. Bring your petitions to God. Bring your requests. Make them known. He wants to hear them. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves are also forgiven. For, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. Jesus is providing a framework for the content of how we pray. pray. And the Lord's Prayer, man, listen, it could take you a couple minutes. You could just run through it and reflect on it out through the day. Or you can go line by line. And you can allow each line to permeate your soul. And you can sit and think about the words that Jesus is offering as a framework. Jesus ultimately is saying through the Lord's Prayer, take you out of the center. Make God the center. And in your prayer time, make God the center of your prayers. I love that. If you need content to pray, if you don't have the words to say, go to the Lord's Prayer. Take a line. Take a sentence. Lord, your kingdom come. Stop there. Lord, your will be done. Stop there. Lord, forgive me for my sins, my trespasses. Stop there. Amen? We need to build our prayer life on, on how we pray. And Jesus gives us a framework for that content. But second, we need to build our prayer life on, on this paradigm. When we go to God in pray, prayer, I wonder if God wants us to, yes, be attentive to our content, but have our hearts focus on connecting with him. I want to say that again. Yes, we are uh, to, to think about what we say and what we bring to God, but I wonder if God is trying to shift our hearts towards when you go to God in prayer, that your desire is to experience him above the content that you bring to him. I wonder if prayer is a little more about connecting with God than it is the content. And I'm reminded of this in scripture. Uh, in Exodus 33, uh, this, uh, Moses is uh, now mediating a conversation between God and the people of God, the Israelites, the chosen people of God. And they get to this camp and they make this camp. And here, uh, God has already told the people of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. You, you simply have continued to reject me after uh, I've continued to pursue you and provided for you in the wilderness. I've, uh, you're, as you've uh, been in trouble, I've rescued you. I've been there for you, and, and you've continued to say you don't want to have anything to do with me. 
And God is telling Moses, you know what? I am going to remove my presence from them. But God knows that, that he created us to be in relationship with him. So, so, what, he, so what Moses does is he, he models this relationship. So Moses, uh, being the leader of the people of Israel, he pitches a tent. And this tent is outside the camp. Imagine that this auditorium is the camp. And, and Moses goes uh, uh, outside a little bit and he pitches the tent. And what he wants to do is model this relationship, this authentic relationship that should be happening with God and his people. And, and the Bible is very clear when it uses language of a tabernacle. The tabernacle is where God dwells. But when, we, when Moses uses the language of tent, tent means exchange. It's designed for there to be this exchange. So, so Moses goes out to the tent often. And Moses goes to the tent, and the Bible tells us that this pillar of cloud, this cloud comes down, and it stands, and it sits at the front of this tent. And the whole people of Israel, the whole camp, is watching this cloud rest at the front of the tent. And they see Moses, and the Bible says that the, the Moses and the cloud are talking like one talks to a friend. That God in this pillar of cloud is speaking to Moses like one speaks to a friend. And yo, the Bible doesn't record what the content was. You know what I think the Bible was trying to illustrate is that type of communion is what needs to happen in prayer. And I believe God is encouraging us this year to move away just from focusing on content, which is cool. But man, I wonder if he wants the depths of our heart in prayer. I wonder if he wants us to, to seek his face. I wonder if he wants us to just stand by the edge of the tent and wait for him to come and speak to us. Now, I have to say this. Jordan and I were talking after the first service. I have to normalize boredom for a second. Because the truth is, if any of you have been walking with Jesus uh, for any amount of time, there are sometimes in prayer when nothing happens. And that can lead to a level of discouragement. But it doesn't mean that God isn't present. I love how the ancient fathers, in, in, when you look in church history, they say that God speaks loudly in silence. The tender meeting was symbolizing that God's presence, he wants there to be this exchange. And yes, there are going to be times when you may not feel a whole lot of emotion, but he wants you to still come. There are plenty of times when I'm hanging out with friends, we're not doing much of anything. In fact, we laugh at nothingness. But if you watch us, our nonverbals, you, you can see our relationship. We are close. I think God is inviting us in this year to focus on the paradigm switch being, God, when I pray, I want to experience you. Take your time this year. Experience God in prayer. Here's some framework. Here's a biblical framework I want to leave with you. Some things I want you to do this week. Here's the first thing. I want you to pick your time. Pick your time. Matter of fact, like right now, I'm going to give, I can't give you a whole lot of time, but I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Think in your mind, when are you going to pray? 
For those of you who are walking with Jesus, maybe you have a time. Those of you who are maybe are not following Jesus right now and you're, you're looking to work on that, I want you to pick a time. Maybe you have some things planned for January. Screw those things. I want you to pick a time and say, this time, Lord, I, however much time you give them, Jordan preached that it takes a little bit of faith on a solid thing, and it'll hold you. Whatever time you give God, I want you to pick a time. Put it in your calendar. Take a minute right now. Put it in your mind. Put it in your calendar. Second, I want you to find your place. The tent of meetings was so dope because it helped us find our place. It helped the Israelites find a place to worship God. I want you to find your place. Listen to this in Matthew 6. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Find your place. And lastly, I want you to seek God's presence. Maybe when you go and you get, you're, as you're building your prayer life, you're, you're going to mess up. Remember, God's pursuing you. But if there's anything I want you to walk away with, the paradigm I want you to take is now when you go to pray, I want you to go to experience God and say, Lord, would you, can I, Lord, I want to experience you. I want to experience more of you. Pray that prayer. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for how you shape us. God, help us pick a time, find our place, and seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen.